Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. Hope everyone is keeping safe. Um, thank you so much for the comments that you guys are sending in during this, and the listenership has gone absolutely mental. I think everyone is doing those 2K walks, and they must be doing a few laps of them because the listenership has gone mental. So thank you so much for your support, and thank you so much for all the messages that are coming through as well. This week, um, I am very lucky to interview David uh, Dunn, who's a performance nutritionist with a track record in developing uh, nutritional programs for athletes, teams, Olympians, sports legends all over the globe. He is also the co-founder of Hexus Performance. He has also worked with PGA Tour golfers. He's also worked with Harlequins in Rugby Union, Bradford Bulls in Rugby League, uh, QPR or Queen's Park Rangers in, in football and he's also worked with bo- uh, the boxer Mickey Conlon as well and David is currently completing a PhD out of Liverpool's John Moores University in the UK in digital health so David thank you so much for coming on today No, no worries, thanks a million for having me, it's always always good to chat you up and uh, yeah we've got a bit more time on our hands these days so good yeah. to discuss a few topics I think that's the the big plus out of this that I'm trying to take out of is getting people like yourself on to kind of have a chat and try to kind of get a little bit of information into people's heads for when the when this is all over fingers crossed it'll be over soon how are you coping with the whole thing? Um, yeah fingers crossed it'll be over soon is, is right I suppose but yeah coping okay at the minute I'm, I had a pretty busy schedule there for the last I suppose for the last couple of years that involved a decent amount of international travel for for various sporting events so I'm actually kind of enjoying the fact that I can't leave a little bit um, I, I, I do love routine and so you know being set in one base for a little bit how sort of means I can get a little bit more normality um, even though this isn't normal but um, I, I don't mind it at the minute I think I've, I've managed to keep busy enough and, and settle into a structure where I'm I'm not too worried but I'm sure that won't won't last many or much longer. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um and David for those that who aren't aware of your story and how you got into kind of the nutrition realm, can you kind of talk us through a little bit more? Sure, yeah. So I suppose I I've always been interested in sport. Um came from quite a, a sporty family and I mean my younger brother's managed to kick on now and he's he's doing fantastic playing professional golf on the European tour um, and you know my sister was always sporty as well so we, we got ex- exposed to sport at a young age and I got particularly interested in the, uh, the physical side of it and starting to understand you know which elements we were in control of beyond skill or technical development and that kind of, sort of sparked my interest to explore it a little bit more at university so I went and moved across to the UK uh, to do my undergraduate degree in nutrition and sports science and sort of throughout that process, I suppose, gravitated more towards nutrition. Um, I liked the, the variety of, of what could be done across different settings in sport, you know, throughout the same work week. And sort of it sort of snowballed from there. I got pretty lucky, to be fair, when I when I graduated my undergraduate, I managed to go pretty much straight into into work up at Bradford Bulls and get a bit of experience in rugby league. And those uh, those players definitely taught me more than I taught them about working in professional sport and it was a great environment to be in and did my postgraduate alongside that uh, through the Olympic Committee and sort of snowballed into a few different sports between uh, Olympic fencing, sprint and slalom, canoe, golf, rugby union, uh, professional soccer, boxing, basketball, uh, athletics, so a good mix and 
yeah, haven't haven't looked back since. Haven't haven't tried to retrain yet, so that's always a good sign. Fairly high achieving family in the sporting realm, but having Paul as your brother, so yeah, heavy hit, uh, yeah, heavy yeah. hitters. He's uh, he's he's fairly talented, all right. He was always good. He was he was always good at the. I suppose I'm going to say the hand-eye coordination. Well, not maybe not the hand-eye coordination sports, but like the racket sports or sports, you know, like tennis and golf. So he was actually a, a very good tennis player and sort of played some uh, national representative squad stuff at a young age, but then he he gravitated more towards golf in the end and, and probably better for him. Yeah. I'd say he would have he would have fared better well, he's obviously faring better at that than he may have on the ATP series. Big time, big time of yeah. unfair play to him. Um it's we've spoken about already that it, it is a weird time and I think every time like there's not much going on on Sky Sports News if you look at it apart from the kind of the talks of what are they going to start the seasons again or, or on different countries are kind of deciding on different rules and stuff like that uh, and like I think the Bundesliga is kind of starting up fairly I think it's the 9th of May or something like that they're talking about opening up the doors again but having it behind closed doors but how would you kind of advise athletes uh, it doesn't matter what level um, whether it's GAA or rugby or playing football with the lads or whatever on how to stay on track with their food their nutrition and kind of supplements and stuff like that yeah I mean it, it's a great question and it's a, I suppose very topical like, you know things change um, and given the current circumstance like you said with all of a sudden sport disappearing off the face of the earth it, I suppose it does put things in perspective um, as to you know how much we enjoy it and how much we'll miss it but I think it, you know, with that in mind, we sort of have to reframe our perspective on things. That, with the Olympics being pushed back, um, all these events being delayed, I think athletes need to remind themselves that this this might not necessarily be the time to get as big, as fast, as strong as you possibly can. And the goal should really be trying to maintain what you have um, and look at small areas that you can add in to to maybe optimize. So. I think for, for most people now, we're dealing with a period of reduced physical activity, more so because our our, our non-exercise activity um, is certainly down. You know, we're in the house, we're sitting down more. We can't go further than sort of 2K away, and the rules in the UK are slightly different, but I don't think that's necessarily a better thing. Um, so I, I think the first thing to take into consideration is that sort of shift in in energy balance. You know, we're, we're training less and the intensity is going to be a bit less we might not have access to the same equipment so odds are you know we could be down anywhere from three four five six hundred calories less from an expenditure perspective each day so if we're concerned about gaining body weight um, or gaining body fat during this period we should really look at identifying a framework that suits our our new lifestyle or our lockdown lifestyle so whereby we use we might used to have had sort of breakfast lunch a pre-training snack a recovery snack for for those that are competing say in the GAA and then dinner and potentially a pre-bed snack we probably look to reduce the frequency of meals within that meal pattern just to help control our overall energy intake um, so that might be you know removing one of those snacks um, and looking at the timing and distribution of that and I suppose alongside that we one thing we don't necessarily want to sacrifice when we are controlling energy is our protein intake so we know that for us to maintain and protect our muscle mass, we still want to be consuming around two grams of protein per kilogram of our body mass um, and distributing that nice and evenly throughout the day, ideally every sort of three to four hours um, in 
in evenly split doses. So from an athlete's perspective, if they are looking to reduce their intake to manage their body weight or body composition as a result of the reduced activity, they should be looking to take these this energy away predominantly from sort of carbohydrate or fat depending on their activity but still keep their protein because that's going to give our muscles the raw materials it needs to to help maintain and protect the muscle mass that it has um, and optimize our recovery from whatever training we're managing to get done whether it is through banded work whether we're fortunate enough to have a bit of equipment or we're looking at different ways to get in that same stimulus into the muscle and introducing different types of exercise whether it's more of an eccentric focus or you know people are doing all sorts of different stuff at the minute which is which is great but i think for me they're they're two big things um and i think the number one action on the back of that really is to to look at your day and try identify a meal pattern that does suit so assuming most people will have a breakfast lunch and a dinner just try identify where in your day you're going to do your daily activity whether your your training and your home workout is going to happen first thing in the morning or it's going to happen late happen later in the afternoon and start to look at you know how much food you need to fuel and recover from that and we might split up your day so for me personally I'm, I'm still trying to keep to a normal work day and i'm going to try to do my training in the evening so i've very much been having some, a lighter breakfast more of a, a higher protein focus with sort of lower carbohydrate requirements because i'm sitting down i'm, I'm very sedentary for the day and then as I get towards lunch, that kind of becomes my my pre-training meal. So I'll probably reduce the fat in that slightly and then increase the carbohydrate to help fuel some higher intensity work in that afternoon period. I'll still have my sort of dinner as a recovery snack and maybe have some some uh, Greek yogurt sort of as a pre-bed, sort of higher protein snack. So I'm getting that distribution nicely, but I've probably pulled one or two snacks out of my day and looked at the meals that should be bigger around my training and then the periods of time uh periods of my day where the the expenditure is less and, and i just need more of a focus on getting some good vitamins and minerals in from some great you know nice fresh fruits and vegetables and some protein to help maintain and protect what i have and what would be so i know i know from from myself and from working with clients and from working with with teams and stuff like that some people enjoy training in the morning they feel a little bit more alert compared to some people like yourself that kind of want to train in the evenings how would you reverse that then if someone is trying to train in the morning sure i mean it's a really good question so first of all not everyone likes to eat before they train so they might want to train in a fasted state which is absolutely fine you know we're no one's going out breaking any world records at the minute so i think the biggest thing to do would be to determine whether you like to train in a fasted state or you like a pre-training snack before you need to go but I would just then look to, to redistribute the energy in my day slightly so that my breakfast, if it falls after training, um, might act more as my refuel style meal. So I might have a bit more carbohydrate after that or a slightly bigger portion size. And then if my activity is, is lower in the evening, I look to then taper down my intake. So I suppose the, the energy content of that meal in the evening might be lower. Uh, as well as the carbohydrate content so in terms of food what that might look like might be i might work out i might then make something like a let's say a big bowl of porridge for breakfast that has some fruits some honey some greek yogurt on top or i could make some protein pancakes topped with some granola or muesli um, to provide some carbohydrate as well as protein to help recover from that exercise session 
I might look towards more of a balanced meal for my lunch. So I could have something like a chicken or a salmon sweet potato salad. So plenty of micronutrients, uh, get in a good variety of vegetables and a traditional balanced meal, you know, a third of the plate of protein, uh, carbohydrate and vegetables. And then as I get towards the evening, I'm probably going to go more for a protein and vegetable based meal where I'm focusing less on carbohydrate which would traditionally be to fuel or recover from high intensity exercise so it's almost like looking at a a traffic light system throughout your day so we can imagine you've got the green light for a higher amount of carbohydrate in the morning so great green let's go fuel fuel and recover we move to more towards amber in the middle of the day as our requirement reduces and then towards the evening we're doing some low intensity activity so let's put the brakes on you know bigger intakes of, of carbohydrate and energy here uh, and sort of reduce, I suppose, according to the work that we're doing in that day. I think that's a that's a that's a, a very thorough and very phenomenal answer with kind of giving the little examples of kind of the the foods that you could involve and kind of could include, um, the protein pan- protein pancakes. I think I'll definitely get them on board with. I think, um, a lot of people are freaking out about kind of losing muscle during this time and it is one of those things that muscle is kind of we work so hard to kind of gain it but it can go quite quickly or we feel it goes quite quickly have you got any advice on how to or any thresholds on kind of protein or anything like that or any sources of protein where people can kind of try to maximize or try to hold on to their muscles as much as possible yeah look it's a it's a good question i think everyone's in the same boat like you said you work so hard to get stronger to get more powerful so that that translates into your sporting performance but um it can be stressful for some people but i suppose stress doesn't cause anything we should always try stay solution focused so the the most important thing with our muscle is still going to be trying to get some stimulus into it now that we don't have access to lots of gym equipment you know the diet isn't going to fix everything by itself so you you know people still need to make sure that they're making the effort to get their bands you know, start changing around their exercise routines to look at a different way to stress the muscle, whether that's increasing the time under tension or putting it through different um, exercise patterns or timing patterns of the exercises, then then that's great. So the first thing is don't stop your training. Keep training. It'll be good for your mental health as well as your physical health, and it will sensitize your muscle to the feeding after that. So now that we've got some stimulus going into the muscle, When it comes to our protein intake, like I said before, ideally we want to aim for about two grams per kilo on average. Now, you know, some people might tolerate absolutely fine with sort of 1.6 grams per kilo, but two grams per kilo is a good number um, for most people. So for me, it's a 80, 85 kilos. I'm sort of looking at that sort of 160, 170 grams of protein a day. Now that's enough protein for my muscle to maintain itself on. So the next most important thing is looking at the distribution of that. Ideally, we want to avoid skewed distributions where by, you know, somebody might not have any protein at breakfast, but then they have two big steaks at dinner. So we want to try to keep it nice and even throughout the day. So identify sources of protein that you can have in breakfast. So if I'm looking at, say, a higher carbohydrate meal, I might be mixing oats with milk or Greek yogurt for my protein. Um, as my protein source when it tends to be more carbohydrate based but if I'm not having a heavy carbohydrate based meal I might look towards eggs at breakfast so again really good high leucine sources of protein 
um, in the morning. Vegetarians and vegans, uh, obviously they're all fine for vegetarians. Vegans might look towards things like soy yogurts, or they might look at combining a number of plant-based proteins. So they might combine a grain like oats with a nut, a seed or a soy, um, and, and a legume and see if we can pull together a full spectrum of essential amino acids. So that that's kind of breakfast. And then when we move on to lunch or sort of three or four hours later, ideally, you know, meats, fishes, um, dairy. So things like quark, cottage cheese are all, are all really good sources. Um, that we should try, I suppose, get a good portion size in. So, you know, a fillet of chicken or a fillet of salmon generally has between 30 and 35 grams of protein. Um, a tablespoon of Greek yogurt will generally have about five grams of protein. So four or five tablespoons, you get yourself up to a good portion size or a good, a good hit. Same again for dinner. And, and then if we're looking towards snacks, things like Greek yogurts are great. Um, milk-based smoothies, as well as looking towards how we can incorporate things like whey protein or protein powders into some baking that we might do. So instead of having a, a protein bar that we bought over the counter that is really a candy bar with 20 grams of protein pushed into it, can we look to use some oats, some dried fruits and nuts, mix it with a bit of whey and come up with a, I suppose, a, a tastier, higher in fiber, more micronutrient rich snack that also has some protein to help contribute to our, our muscle maintenance but in an like if i was to say there's two simple take-homes on this it's get the total right so two grams per kilo and then get the timing right so distribute that nice and evenly aim for a minimum of four servings and you'll be grand beyond that don't don't stress too much um fortunately you know no one's going to be going through big games that are going to be back to back at this stage so um the concern around under recovery will be will be significantly less and what about kind of supplementation with the likes of creatine and stuff like that? Would you continue to supplement with the likes of creatine or would you kind of take that out because there may not be as much recovery needed? Well, I, th I think it, it very much depends on the individual and it depends on the individual's goal. So for somebody to take creatine in the first place, they may have been specifically targeting uh, improving their, their strength or their power or... Um, they would have been targeting to improve some area of their, their physical development around that. Now, there's no need to necessarily stop per se. They, they don't have to cycle on and cycle off. Um, but I would sort of ask, you know, what was the purpose of that? Are they still getting in enough training? You know, creatine has many benefits beyond physical performance in terms of our, our brain's health and our cognitive health um, and improves, I suppose, looking at the, the brain energetics as well. So, I think it's it's too individual to give a blanket answer to say yes stop um, it very much depends on that individual's rationale for for taking what their current training load is like and are they trying to help maintain muscle are they concerned about losing mass are they concerned about gaining mass so too too many variables to give a blanket answer but definitely um, you know people want to reach out and ask the question about a specific scenario then that we can definitely answer that 100% no I, I love the, the 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 sources and going through as much detail as you did with kind of where to get the protein spitting it out throughout the day aiming for that two grams per kg um, so I, I'm very appreciative for that when people are going back to kind of training and going back into is it going to be like a pre-season for those guys again and will they have to 
kind of how much in advance are they going to be given really it's it's no one really knows the answer are they like i know say like the bundesliga is potentially going back on the 9th of may are those lads kind of be going back today saying we've got two weeks to try and get fitness going again and kind of getting the nutrition on point again or or what will the kind of the goals over kind of like the next the two weeks beforehand be sure i i suppose to a certain extent you answered answer that one yourself and that we don't know um, i don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen next and you know a definitive start date but i think what most people are focusing on at the minute is is damage limitation doing what they can and being okay with that to help maintain as much of their physical qualities as they can so maintaining as much of the strength as they can given the resources that are available um you know fitness we can still get out we can still run we can still put some stress on our aerobic and our anaerobic system and and work across those those various energy systems to get that stimulus in so people are still doing that work which is great um you know if we were told now we're, we're back in two weeks everyone's in the same boat so i think the the role of the, the sports scientist and the strength and conditioning coach becomes really important to look at managing people's load and also managing people's expectations to say you know you you're going from this back into um, full-time training again. Even if you have been doing what you're doing, there will be a significant shift in intensity and, and potentially volume, depending on that individual. So people just need to be managed back into it. Um, you know, but everyone's in the same position. So I think a huge emphasis should definitely be on on people's lifestyle and recovery as they transition back, just to reduce their risk of of picking up unnecessary injuries in particular load induced injuries as a result of under recovery between sessions so i think it's, it's a real team effort between everyone within a sports science and medicine team as well as the buy-in of that individual athlete or or organization to to get beyond it but i wouldn't say that there's any one thing that people have to do it's you know just starting to i suppose day by day and meal by meal from a nutrition perspective you need to fuel the work that you're doing and recover from the work that you're doing and the sports scientists and snc coaches will help sort of manage and transition that load back in by you know gradually increasing it and, and making sure you know no one's no one's being exposed to a crazy you know chronic load that pushes them pushes them too fast too soon brilliant um i think one of the things that i think one of the kind of the recovery tools that i think a lot of people not even athletes i think a lot of kind of general population uh underutilize is the importance of sleep and how they kind of recover and how it impacts on their performance whether they're kind of sitting at their desk all day and the cognitive performance or their own performance in the gym and stuff like that and from talking to people on a daily basis with clients and working with the teams is that you've got two extremes you've got the people who are going to bed early who are kind of rigid with their bedtimes or you've got the other people who are lying in bed scrolling on Instagram, scrolling on house party or whatever it may be. Have you got any tips for a decent pre-bed routine of kind of what's going on now to kind of make sure you're kind of recovering properly and then also be on kind of match or kind of around matches as well? Yeah, I think you're dead right. I think sleep is sleep is the, the most important recovery tool out there. Uh, from a psychological perspective as well as a physical perspective um so I, I think it's really important that people aren't neglecting their sleep and i think like you've alluded to you know routine is really important and now that we're at home during the day a lot more i i also think it's it's worthwhile flagging to listeners that it's not a good idea to do too much work from your bedroom if, if you can avoid it 
we should ideally keep that area for sleeping and you know allow us to have separate areas in the house for sort of working and sleeping and relaxing but if we start to allow our sort of work life creep over into that sort of bedroom or sleep area uh, it, it can cause some disrupted sleep um, but around routine I think the biggest thing is trying to find out what works for you so tr- the first thing is try to find a consistent bedtime and that still allows you to get that you know seven seven to nine hours of sleep and you know try keep that relatively consistent each night so if we start to go to bed an hour earlier tonight an hour later the next night it's it's quite tough for our body's circadian rhythm to adjust to that and and odds are we're we're not going to get the same quality than if that we would if we had a consistent bedtime so once you identify a consistent bedtime that works for you i work backwards from that and try build up a i suppose a a run-in into your sleep so what that might look like to start might be maybe 90 minutes before bedtime or you know an hour depending on how you feel or how late you finish you might have some uh, high protein pre-bed snack so something like greek yogurt with a bit of dark chocolate some berries and some honey would be great to supply some slow release protein to aid your muscles recovery throughout the evening um dark chocolate will be you know nice and rich in plenty of antioxidants and same with the berries as well and look honey is just great for a little bit of flavor to sweeten it up i think once we get past that uh ideally getting off your phone as soon as possible is would be the best case scenario however it's it's not always the reality so i think people need to do what they can i think as a minimum people should turn on the night shift on their phone uh, if they have an iphone just to reduce the blue light that's emitted from the screen that's the that is going to be what's going to impact your your melatonin and suppress that up to 22%. So that can impact our ability to, to go to sleep or our sleep latency, time it takes us to get to sleep. So I think if you can get off your phone 60 minutes before bed, that would be fantastic. If you can't, try 30 minutes. If you can't for 30 minutes, try 15 minutes. Um, so, you know, try find something that works for you. Um, and it, you know, for some people, I know they've had great res- they've had great results from charging their phone outside of their bedroom, just plugging it in in the living room, and then going upstairs and going to bed, or you know, just going to bed in what- whatever room they have. So that would be one thing. And yes, reducing phones is important. Some people also get can be quite stressed going to bed. They might have a lot on their mind from what's happened during the day, or they're afraid they're going to forget something. So putting a small notepad or uh, and a pen beside your bed is really useful just to almost have like a quick brain dump just to get down any final thoughts you have you know whatever it might be you know pay x in the morning don't forget to do this read this um that sort of brain dump could be quite useful as well for people to build into the routine but personally one of the things that i do all the time and i i find it really helps me is a pre-bed shower so believe it or not when we when we do go to bed our body likes to go to sleep in a cool environment in a dark cool environment so have a blacked out room having it nice and cool maybe around 20 degrees but sometimes if you've had a busy day and you've been in the flat all day and you're quite flustered or you're hot because you've been cooking and you know it's getting warmer outside now we need our body's core temperature to drop to put us in a better place to sleep and actually reduce the time it takes for us to fall asleep and having a pre-bed shower this was a study done by a good friend of mine a guy called craig turner who's who's now overworking in the nba and craig craig was looking at it in athletes 
where he exposed athletes to that that pre-bed shower and what he found was that the warm water exposed to the skin when you jump out of the shower your body tries to cool down so it's expelling heat through the skin and it causes your core temperature to drop so you're sort of tricking your body into feeling it's cooler so when you get into bed you now feel cool and your core temperature is lower meaning you're in a better position to sleep so yeah that, that would be one of my go-tos would and for me personally i'd say okay half an hour before bed you know try get off my phone easier said than done um have a have a quick shower drop my core temperature i feel good room is nice and cool and dark and i'm, and I'm ready to go to sleep so there's a few a few tools and tricks in there but i think for you know you don't need to do everything you need to find what works for you start small and start to build things into your routine and try them now's a great time to try them um probably one other thing i'd say is you know if you are going out try get some exposure to sunlight in the morning as well from a circadian rhythm perspective that will help your natural sleep wake cycles so um yeah if we were to put that into a run sheet for the day it could be make sure you get exposed to some natural light in the morning not just the light of your apartment or your house or your flat when you get sort of closer to bedtime have a higher protein pre-bed snack get off your phone if you can Pre-bed showers are great to make you feel a bit cooler before you go to sleep. Dark room, cool environment, write down any thoughts you have and just clock out. I really like the idea is if you can't do 60 minutes, go down to 30 minutes. If you can't do 30 minutes, go down to 15 and kind of work, make it work for you. I know from, you can also read as well if, that, if, if that's what you want to do as well. One thing that I've tried to do over now, over this kind of time is I've downloaded an app called Freedom which blocks certain apps between certain times of the day that whatever times you want them to be blocked at. So I can't look at my Instagram between a certain time or I can't answer messages between a certain time. So I know that I'm going to be productive between, say, 9 a.m. till 12 p.m. And then I'll have, say, half an hour of time that if I want to use use it or reply to DMs or uh, talk to someone on WhatsApp or get back to clients, I have that window. And it also relates to kind of when I go to bed that I've, I turn that off at like 8 p.m. Uh, I know that I have that kind of two hour window before I normally get to bed which which has helped me I think it's free for like seven or eight uses but it might be a little bit dramatic for some people but it, it's 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 definitely helping me at the minute um, in relation to the kind of social media do you find from working with general people as well and kind of athletes and uh, do you find that everyone is kind of becoming an expert or isn't thinks that they are an expert coming from social media from the amount of information that's out there yeah i, th I think it's look, social media is funny when you look at the timeline that sort of surge in, in user generated content um in the earlier sort of 2000s when when facebook came onto the scene and you know then exploded across other platforms and we had whatsapp and instagram and twitter i think you know, if we if we apply some sort of basic principles to it, and we look at we look at what people are doing on their phone by the certain people that they follow. If I was in a group of people on a daily basis, I would be introducing new social norms into my life. So I could be surrounded by uh, thirty people that I choose to hang out with, and I'd quickly start to interpret their opinion as as the social norm. But you know, we don't do that. We tend to have a nice a good mix of friends and family etc but when we put ourselves in a digital environment a lot of people tend to follow like-minded people and as a result it, it tends to sort of skew their perception of their social norm as they exist in this echo chamber and if you're following 
lots of people that perceive themselves as experts, um, you know, you're going to get almost this positive reinforcement of information that is wrong. Um, so I, I definitely think there there is an element of, you know, there are so many people out there that everyone is trying to sell something, they're trying to do something, they're, you know, they all have various motivations for, for what they're trying to do. And, you know, people need to look back, you know, at, at, in the first in- instance for somebody to hand out or give advice or information. Do they have the relevant qualifications in the fitness industry? Do they actually understand uh, biochemistry and exercise metabolism? And if they don't understand that, it's very hard to give advice because you don't know how the body works. So, you know, I, I think it's it's important just to just to look at that. And a, a piece of advice I'd give to a lot of people is, you know, reflect on who you follow. Have, just have a quick look through your feed. And if you're seeing, you know, lots of people who are giving out advice and don't actually maybe know what they're talking about, but their, you know, influencers are perceived a certain way, you should try to restructure your digital environment. Follow more some more trusted sources of information um, or people that will sort of add add some benefit to your life that might enrich your knowledge um, they may not have as many followers they might um, but it's important to do a little bit of research on, on sort of who you should follow and who you should trust where you can get credible sources of information because there's everything out there you know you, you can find anything if you want to find it yeah I think I think the, the big problem with the industry is it's not regulated or the, 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 the for PTs and stuff like that, the fitness industry isn't regulated. So there are a lot of people putting out their own biases towards everything and stuff like that. So it is it is important to do that kind of social media audit. And I think, I think I'd probably say you're about the 20th or 25th person to mention that. And it, it's, it's, it keeps coming up and keeping up, keep coming up, but it has a massive impact on your mental health if you are scrolling you're seeing these kind of little topics keep popping up and they're having an impact on your own mental health or how you perceive something or how you perceive yourself or whatever it is important to kind of get rid of that and don't let that happen to yourself so i'm delighted you've kind of brought that up as well um the next question i'm not looking for gossip on any players in particular or any athletes in particular but how do you kind of because you've worked with as you said you've worked with olympians you've worked with golfers I wish are predominantly or a lot of those kind of sports would be kind of solo sports but then you've worked with team environments how do you find kind of working with the other different strategies for working with solos different strategies for working with kind of team environments and how do you work with kind of all the different egos and ideas and stuff like that yeah I, just before I answer that question probably the one thing the final piece on social media is you know, one of my best mates, well, my best mate has, has sort of always said, like, comparison is the tea for joy. So I'd yeah. always have that in people's heads when they start to look at stuff and say, I want to do this, I should be doing this. It's, you know, do what you can do and, you know, don't believe everything you see and you read. But, sorry. Um, no, it's a brilliant quote. It's a phenomenal <laughs> quote. Like, it, it is. And it's such a simple quote, but I think a lot of people don't really... They forget about it when the time they actually need it, if that makes any sense. Like this, exactly. Uh, They'll but, probably post it themselves, but they will never actually read and take it take it on board. One hundred percent. But yeah, looking at the differences between team and individuals, I suppose the first thing is uh, above and beyond anything else is to to look at the person um, and try to understand the person, and you know, not necessarily just what physical attributes they need to deliver a performance. Um, 
you know, and, and for that we'd start to look at, you know, what is the sport, what does it require, does it require a certain level of mass, does it require a certain level of speed, fitness, etc. You know, I think we, we look at that and then we go a layer deeper and start to understand what motivates them, um, what's, you know, what's their current situation in life, do they have kids, do they not have kids, what are potential barriers and enablers to to making the necessary changes or, or what what is their low-hanging fruit so i actually wouldn't deal massively differently with individuals or teams is the short answer to questions we try work with everyone as an individual the biggest barrier i have working with teams is that often the squad size is significantly larger so i can spend less time with each individual so i might try focus on a, on a smaller number of individuals and then provide some basic um i suppose nutrition coaching or nutrition support to to the rest of the players so you can almost you'd almost have to group them into these people are self-reliers they're in a good place we can provide small areas to support them on we might have confirmation seekers who need to take confidence and you know just check in to make sure they're on the right track and then you might have people that are a bit more dependent on us who we really need to to work with and sort of go on the journey with whereas on an individual sport we still might have those same types of people but we have more time that we can dedicate either way so I, I think you know the biggest the biggest difference really for me is is the difference in how I can allocate my time but how we approach them we would we'd approach everyone everyone the same I suppose and that that's as a person first and foremost and then and then work backwards from there as to how they want to do what they want to do and, and how we can support it and I think in this process, you can't be overly coach-led. I can't, you know, it never works well, somebody telling you what to do. You do this. You know, I think we should always work together as a team and try work out what we want to do, how we want to do it, and um, over what period of time is, is really important. Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there about, like, every single person is different. It doesn't actually matter if they are an athlete or not like Mary down the road is completely different down to Susan down the road like everyone is completely different there are different things going to go on there could be as you said pe- some people have kids some people don't some people have massive stressful jobs if they're if they're partic- if they're playing GAA they have jobs outside of it um, so I'm delighted you've, you've mentioned that David puts up incredible photos of food up on his Instagram where did you get the ideas for the recipes David? Um just the iPhone's gone a long way to get those compliments. Uh, <laughs> um, the the recipes, I suppose, I, I would have played a, a good bit of rugby myself in younger years and sort of GAA more recently have sort of gone back to that. And you kind of find yourself in the same scenarios that you're advising athletes on. So, you know, you, you have to practice what you preach and you've got to try and experiment and go, you know, if you're looking for a snack before training, you know, from my nutritionist hat goes okay i need something that is a good source of carbohydrate is lower gi might have a little bit of protein but you know doesn't need to have crazy amounts maybe lower in fat so initially in your head you'll be like okay let's you know oats is always good is there any way we can make this into something so i think it's more about thinking about the scenarios and then coming up with coming up with recipes that fit the scenarios given given what's required and, and toying around with that so um yeah, I think you can you can kind of pull pull a bit of inspiration from anywhere, but I think it's definitely come more from thinking about situations that I've been in that ex- others are experiencing, 
and then listening to what they like and experimenting and then getting some feedback so there's there's a lot of experimenting and getting feedback I'd say because th- we've definitely done some stuff that doesn't make it onto social media that's, uh, <laughs> that, that hasn't worked out well that's why social media is a highlight reel <laughs> uh, and where can people like David has a phenomenal name on Instagram where can people find out your name or y- information about yourself and where can people give you a follow David sure th- this one comes up a bit in terms of why did I get such a ridiculous name um you can find me at the nutritionizer so it's just at the nutritionist but instead of a t at the end there's an or and uh, the story behind that is when i started off at harlequins seven six seven seasons ago now um you know you, you sign up you get your your key card access to the building or whatever and you know the key card i got just had the, it was just a typo they just didn't say you know role nutritionist it was role nutritionizer and i took I took a took a bit of uh, banter for that, rightly so, and then it just stuck with me. So I said, "I'll roll with this. There's no point in no point trying to fight this one." It's a it's it's a good name, but I definitely if guys, I definitely give David a follow. Um, and if you have any questions around like that about anything that he's talked about, particularly kind of with kind of maintaining and stuff like that, do pop a message. Um, but David, thank you so much for giving up some of your time. I know we we're talking off air. And I think both of us are, even though it's potentially meant to be a little bit quieter, we're finding we're a little bit busier with the hours and stuff that we're working. It's a weird, it's a weird time. Um, so thank you so much for coming on uh, and please stay safe. No, no worries. And like I said, if people want to find out any recipes, we're really hosting all of that stuff over on Instagram at hexus underscore performance. So myself and a few other nutritionists, we're, we're very close to launching a new performance nutrition app where we, we should have some, some pretty novel and exciting tools for specifically for athletes um, and a whole heap of recipes and content so keep your keep your eyes peeled for that one I will 100% put that um, that into the, the write up as well so you guys can just click on that and give that a follow and when that's ready to go uh, and I wish you the best of luck with everything David so thank you so much for, for coming on great to have a chat no worries thanks a million <laughs>